2: Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans, along with Tyler Matheson. Welcome to the special Fed edition of The Exchange. We're live in Washington, D.C., today as we enter the final countdown to the decision on interest rates. Now, it comes as the regional banks rebound for now, but we've been here before, and the fallout from the bank turmoil seems far from over. What the Fed decides today could seal the degree of pain yet to come.
3: And we have all the angles covered for you, from the stock market to the bond market to the economy, and how rising interest rates will impact consumers like you. Plus, Senators John John Kennedy and Elizabeth Warren will be here uh, in the next 90 minutes to weigh in on the Fed, the banks and the big debt ceiling showdown.
2: Before that, though, let's get today's markets with about uh, an hour before that decision. Dom Chu live at the New York Stock Exchange. Hi,
4: Dom. Kelly, Tyler, what I'll tell you right now is it's very much a tepid market, but it's not unsurprising given the fact that we have a major catalyst in the Fed rate decision coming up later on at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So for the time being, we are seeing, though, general positivity. It had been mixed earlier in the session, but again, not by very much up or down. But generally speaking, we're kind of tilting towards the highs of the session right now. The Nasdaq Composite up about one-half of 1%, 12,136. The S&P 500, 4131, the last trade there, up about one-third of 1%, and the Dow Industrials up 39 points, one-tenth of 1% gain there, 33,723, the last trade. One place to keep a close eye on, speaking of the economic narrative overall, is what's happening with certain parts of the oil market. Demand may be an issue if there's an economic pullback. If you take a look at oil prices, WTI crude is still down about 4% on the session, $68.63. So now we're on a 60 uh, ish dollar handle here, 68 bucks below 70 right now. Over the last year, we've lost a third of its value. So keep an eye on oil prices, that economic narrative and slowdown pricing in there. Interest rates, let's give you a check on those as we head into that big rate decision right now. The six-month T-bill, 5% still. The 10-year benchmark treasury note yield drifting slightly lower to 3.39%. And then the 30-year long bond, 3.69% as well. And then from the stock perspective, Kelly nailed it. The regional bank's still very much a part of the story. Earlier in the pre-market session, they were all down markedly. They've rebounded and stabilized quite nicely on a relative basis. PacWest, Bank Corp up 7%. Right now, Western Alliance up 4%. Bank of Hawaii, Zion, some of the other Western regional banks that are in play, and the S&P 500 regional bank ETF ticker KRE. Tyler up 2% right now. We'll see if those gains stick as we head towards that Fed meeting. I'll send things back over to you.
3: All right, Dom, thank you very much. And uh, with less than an hour to go now, the market pricing in a near 90% chance of a quarter point interest rate hike. But could investors be getting this one wrong? Steve Leisman just a few miles away at the Federal Reserve with what to expect.
1: Hey, Steve yeah and maybe uh, people think the fed is getting this wrong the fed expected to hike for the 10th straight time amid call it unusual and strong opposition to this move from former Fed officials, Fed observers, and a lot of concern in markets over regional banks. Here's what you might call the cause for a pause. A couple ex Fed presidents, Rosengren and Capital saying don't hike. The CNBC Fed survey, 59 percent, saying a hike would be a mistake. Uh, the banking stock saying there's trouble ahead, and the Fed staff in the minutes from the last meeting showing they're looking for a recession because of, you got it, banking concerns. The case for a hike, though, the economy is still running hotter than the Fed would like, especially to the job market and inflation remains well above that 2% target. A surprise pause could also spook markets thinking, hey, the Fed sees data showing the situation is worse than the markets believe, even though they think believe the uh, the bank situation is pretty bad. But a pause by the Fed now would buy some time for banks to get their balance sheets back to health, would keep the situation from getting worse. It would also likely have little impact on inflation because, hey, those hikes take time to filter into the economy. The Fed would still be reducing its balance sheet. So if the Fed hikes today, markets believe this will be the last one. The year-end contract shows a 437 rate on that year-end, or 75 basis points of cuts built in from where the market thinks the Fed is going to be at the end of today. So whatever the Fed does, the expectation is that it's pretty quickly going to turn around and undo it, guys. Right, let me ask you a question, Steve. Apart from the banking issues you mentioned there,
3: uh, among those 59 or 57 percent of people who you said don't believe that an interest rate hike is appropriate, is that in part because they feel that the prior rate hikes, the nine that we've had, had so far, have done the job in, in retarding inflation?
1: Uh, certainly some, uh, uh, Tyler, uh, th- believe that there's quite a bit of tightening in train. And by the way, that tightening that is from the past is showing up p- in part on what's going on in the banking system. A part part mm-hmm. of it is they're going to get, uh, you've already had, by the way, Uh, Tighter credit standards even before SVB failed and the expectation uh, in the survey as you may recall is that uh, uh, Credit standards are supposed to get quite a bit tighter from here And there's going to be a big impact on Main Street from this Uh, The big banks uh, and the big companies in the S&P They're not going to have trouble getting loans small business medium-sized business if these uh, regional banks cut back on credit They're the ones that are going to get hurt
2: Great point. Steve, thank you very much. We'll see you in a bit. First, let's get to our, or I should say, let's get to our first panel, because we have several of them today. And one of our guests says, no hike is necessary. One says a quarter point is warranted, and one says, how about a half point hike right now? Yeah. Let's welcome them all. Jamie Cox is here in studio. He's Harris Financial Group's managing partner. Also with us, Subaja Rajapa, Society General's head of US rate strategy, and Bill Lee, Milken Institute's chief economist. Welcome all of you. Jamie, which camp are you in?
5: I'm in the Do Not Hike really do not terrorize the banking system anymore. I mean, we're on the precipice of maybe getting into the the meat of many of the regional banks. So the Fed has the ability to kind of fix the problem that it has created. If you think about it, the overnight reverse repo facility now takes in $2.2 trillion. That's, That's actually more than the uh, than the GDP of South Korea. And that could be fixed very easily by the Fed reducing the rate it pays on those the reverse repos from 10 basis points to 25. They could restore deposits that are actually been running out of the banking system and actually restore some stability. And at the same time, they could also cut uh, stop cutting rates. They really Did- need to, or else we're going to be in really big trouble. But- with regional banks. But let me ask you. I mean, did the Fed cause the banks' problems, or did bankers cause the banks' problems? I think the Fed is directly responsible.
3: I mean, we but thought, it wasn't the Fed that caused those bankers to load up on long-term treasuries, we, and it wasn't the Fed uh, that 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 was was engineering that or 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 keeping
5: deposit rates low. If you go back bankers. to if you go back to 2019, when Jerome Powell pivoted. We basically flooded the system with reserves. And those reserves had to be dealt with some way. So what banks did is they invested in treasuries, those that high quality asset. And then they did it again and with persistent, persistent through the pandemic, persistent reserve increases. All right. Well now they raised rates really, really fast and basically buried the banks and made them technically insolvent. So that it's a problem the Fed started. It's a the Fed has now created a big mess with, and it's a problem the Fed can fix. And they need to do it before it becomes an even bigger problem than it already is.
2: One more point on this before we move on. But hey, the regional banks are green today. Pro- problem solved. What do you make of this erratic trading behavior where yesterday we saw it tremendous declines and today we started out that way and then the tone changes into a Fed decision, no less?
5: For the, for the past, I don't know, probably three to four weeks, you've seen this back and forth you know multi high percentage point mm-hmm. gains and losses day by day that's not normal in banks it's not normal in any high quality asset and that tells me that there's a big problem that needs to be fixed so to me i think they need to deal with it before it becomes a problem and larger think about it one last thing 500 billion dollars of banking you know problems it's bigger than the global financial crisis we had three banks represent a bigger hole in the financial system that we had than we had during the financial crisis that is only going to get worse. Bigger it's than 2008. Yeah, exactly. That,
3: absolutely true. Let me turn to you, Bill Lee, and, and get you to give the rejoinder to Jamie. You're on the other end of the spectrum. You think yes. the Fed will do 25 uh, basis points or a quarter
6: point, but you
3: think they should do 50. Why?
6: We don't have a banking crisis. We have a crisis in bank supervision. We allowed the super the supervisors have allowed these badly managed banks to to continue when they should have shut them down. And let's remember banks account for only 11% of total corporate financing. Yes, banks are inc- incredibly important for small businesses, and that's where we think the channels are really gonna hit. The Fed is worried that we have too strong an economy because consumption remains too strong. Investments turned down, the real estate is turned down, but consumption is not. And why is that? Because. The unemployment rate is still 3.5%. People are not worried about their jobs. If we do have small regional banks start to contract their loans, uh, and that will hit small businesses the most, and that will hit the labor market. That will finally get inflation to start slowing down by slowing down consumption. So the channels for monetary policy transmission are going exactly the right way if we allow the banks to contract on their loans. Now to get rid of inflation, we, I think, need a little bit more tightening to get people to stop spending so much. So uh, if you look at Taylor rules or other reference rules, they, they're calling for 6%. So for me to say another 50 basis point is warranted is really somewhere between where the market's pricing and where these rules are pricing.
3: Back to the point on banks, do you think we have a problem with regulators or regulation? In other words, are the, yeah. are the rules wrong or is the application of the rules
6: insufficient? Bingo, we have a crisis in supervision. We have a lot of rules. And the rules are designed to, to look at the banks that are the most systemically important ones and look at them carefully. The ones that are smaller, uh, we, th- we they pay less attention to. The banks that fail put a hole in the banking system in uh, cryptocurrency areas, in, in Silicon Valley venture capitalists and among very rich people uh, at First Republic. These are very, very narrow focused banking models regional banks that help small businesses, community banks that help uh, minority businesses, they're still doing very well. What is a shame is that the Federal Reserve didn't come out and say, our supervisors fell on the job and we're gonna fix that and we're gonna make sure that every bank that's out there is doing the job well, and if they're not, we're gonna shut the managements down. If we did that, we would calm the markets completely.
2: Subhadra, let's talk about inflation for a minute, because that's the argument the people in the Bill Lee camp are making, that if the Fed backs off here, they're making an inflationary mistake. Is that true? Because you look at some of the break evens and other measures and inflation expectations look pretty contained. Oil is collapsing again today. Consumer credit taking a while to work through here. Where do you think we might see PCE or PCI in a couple of months? Uh, Did I say CPI or PCE in a couple of months time?
7: Yeah, no, I think that both Jamie and, and and Bill make very very good points and highlights the difficulty that the Fed is facing on monetary policy. On the one hand, they have very hard inflation, and what uh, you know Billy was talking about is that they should be raising aggress- rates aggressively and uh, to 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 uh, put a lid on inflation. On the other hand, you have this regional banking crisis and financial stability concerns. So that's why we think a 25 basis point rate hike, which is what the markets. Fully priced in for makes a makes a lot of sense. Uh, the trajectory for inflation is that you should see uh, inflation gradually decline over the remainder of the year. But the concern is that if the Fed doesn't act aggressively on the rate hike uh, path, if they pause, that they might not be able to achieve uh, their inflation goals. So, in some respects, the Fed has to hike in order to to keep a lid on inflation. But the broader trajectory for core P C for uh, the upcoming months, as well as for the end of the year, is probably a gradual disinflationary path. That said, we end the year in core PCE still around maybe three and a half percent. So that's still pretty high, pretty much higher than so pretty high relative to the target.
2: I mean, two and a half percent is that worth risking the kind of credit crunch that we're all a little bit worried about here, Subhadra?
7: Uh, you're talking about the quarter basis point uh, rate hike? No, meaning if
2: inflation's going to be, you know, two and a half percent on the core number by the end of the year, can't they just kind of back off here and say, OK, maybe financial stability. That's what former Fed members themselves have been saying all week long. Maybe financial stability needs to take a little bit more precedence here.
7: Yeah, but you don't have anything in the data that shows that we're on a path to disinflation. If anything, the CPI prints have been very much in line with consensus. Shelter costs are still running pretty high. Services inflation is still pretty uh, strong, and the labor markets are be strong. So as long as people are employed, services side inflation is going to continue to come under pressure. And the only way to sort of put a lid on that is if they continue to, to, to raise rates. But that said, that's going to have an impact on, on the financial assets uh, within the regional banking but, sector. But
3: the rate of inflation has come down rather dramatically, right, Subhadra?
7: It has, but not anywhere near what the Fed would be comfortable with, because Ultimately, what they want to achieve is get to that 2% inflation target. And even by their own forecast, they don't have core PC getting to uh, below 2% or at 2% even in 2025. So they're themselves expecting a very gradual path of disinflation over the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. And add to that any sort of turmoil in the markets, you could see very erratic behavior in in the inflation market. So you really need to see the unemployment rate, unfortunately, go up for inflation to start
3: to, go to moderate. All right, Jamie, around the horn and back to you, final <laughs> thought.
5: You know, if I'm the Fed, I would far and away rather be blamed for a supervision failure than, than be blamed for bringing down the banking system. So to me, I think that the Fed's lucky if they get blamed for supervision you know, problems.
2: Is, right. this, is this a Richmond thing? I, mean, I think it's really bad in Richmond, JV, that much worse <laughs> than, than
5: other parts of the country where other guests are? No, no, things are fine in Richmond. I just worry about, you know, middle America. I mean, I work with, you know, regular, ordinary people in small businesses, and, and they are going to suffer. The, the, the They're going to take the brunt of it. Are they and, feeling it already? I don't think it's happened yet, but I think it's going to. And yeah. I think people are not yet ready for what will happen. And I think that's the problem. You know, normal, ordinary people will be the people that pay the price for the bad decisions of— you know, people who run these large corporations. I think everyone agrees yeah. the
2: goal is to help them, though, but the Fed would say that's why we're fighting
5: inflation. Yes, I, I don't find myself on the same side of Elizabeth Warren on all things, but I do find myself in agreement with her on the need not to unemploy a lot of people to bring down inflation as quickly as the Fed wants to. Well, we
3: will tell her that you are on her side (laughs) when she arrives here in about an hour's time. Jamie Cox, thank you very much. Subhadra Rajapa and Bill Lee, thank you as well. Just getting started here on this CNBC special, The Fed Decision, coming up, what higher rates mean for Main Street. Jamie, just talking about it and your money as the Fed's fight against inflation continues. Plus, Senators uh, Elizabeth Warren and John Kennedy uh, will join us in studio to discuss the Fed decision, the debt ceiling debate and that regional banking crisis and stock ownership by members of Congress. All of that coming up later on the show.
2: As we head to break, here's a look at your markets into the Fed decision about 45 minutes away. The Dow's up 42. The S&P's up 12 to 41.31. The Nasdaq up half a percent. The Russell's rebounding on some rebounds in the regional banks. 338 on the 10-year. 44 minutes to go. We're back after this.
3: Welcome back to our special edition of The Exchange. We're about 40 minutes away now from the decision on interest rates, where the Fed largely expected to make its 10th increase since March of last year. The consumer already feeling the impact, and from what you pay for your mortgage, your car, the rate on your credit cards, personal loans, lines of credit, it's gotten a whole lot more expensive. This is household debt rises and savings decline. For more on the implications on consumer spending and the economy, we're joined here in studio by David Wessel, senior fellow and in economic studies at the Brookings Institution. Also joining us is bankrate.com chief financial analyst, analyst Greg McBride. Greg, I'm gonna start with you. It's very easy to look at these uh, interest rate levels and hikes in a sort of an abstract way, but they are real. They translate into real dollars on people's budgets. Take us through some of the numbers uh, with respect to, for example, home equity lines of credit, mortgages, lines of credit, credit cards, and what's happened?
9: Well, we start with mortgage rates. You know, mortgage rates, were home rate and mortgage rates were last year—they uh, by themselves, the increase in mortgage rates robbed would-be buyers uh, of enough affordability into a thirty percent increase in home prices. So, very significant impact there. Even though mortgage rates have been a little bit more stable of late, home equity lines of credit. You know, after that run-up in home prices, Americans are sitting on more home equity than they've ever had before. But it's no longer a low-cost proposition. With the cumulative impacts. Of all these rate hikes, Tyler, that 5% home equity line that you had a couple of years ago, it's now going to hit double digits. And in terms of just your servicing that debt, the minimum payments now $200 a month more than it would be before the uh, Fed started to raise rates.
2: And perhaps one of, David, the most important headlines as well is simply going to be the deposit rate, right? When the, when all of the water cooler talk is about, hey, guess what you can get on the new Apple you know, savings account? Or, hey, guess what you can get on T-bills? And if that gets worse, this was the Bill Ackman warning from earlier this week where he said, if the Fed hikes again today and people start really getting tantalized by money market funds or yields outside the banking system and moving their money again, then you kind of I don't know keep the keep this deposit flight going that's been such a problem there. right
10: and I think that's a risk for the banks and as you know they've been very slow to raise interest rates they have a lot of reserves at the fed so if they need to pull them out they can but I think the bottom line here is this is what this is what the fed thing was designed to do not to unsettle the banking system but to make borrowing more expensive so people spend less so in a sense It's not an accident that this is happening. And it's surprising, actually, as you made the point earlier, Tyler, that so many of the bankers seem to be blindsided by this. Are
3: are, are you seeing, as you do your studies in in the economy, do you see consumer spending less?
10: Not much. That's one of the things I think is keeping the Fed on the rate rising track, is that so far consumer spending has been surprisingly strong. In part, perhaps, because the job market has been pretty strong.
2: And I feel like small business is the other key to watch here. You know, they're responsible for so many of the job openings and excess openings we've had the last couple of years. We've had a huge surge in new business formation during the pandemic. Right. They hire a lot. And that's where higher loan rates are really just starting to be felt. I mean, 9%, 10% totally changes the equation for them.
10: Right. And that's the problem with the weakness of the regional banks and the smaller banks. That's where small businesses are more likely to get their their money. So what I expect is, we've already seen job openings begin to come down, and I expect that's some of what you just said, that small businesses are getting either unable or reluctant to hire.
3: Greg, are you seeing consumers slowing their spending at all? What's what's happening with, for example, credit card balances?
9: Well, credit card balances have continued to go up. They've gone up along with interest rates going up, so that's a pretty volatile mix. More people carrying larger balances at ever higher interest rates. And in terms of the spending... You know, the consumer spending has been very, very strong, as David noted, the unemployment rate being very low. When people have paychecks, they spend money. But when you look at some of the things like retail sales and you adjust that for inflation, it becomes apparent that people aren't spending more. They're spending more to get the same amount. So, you know, adjusted for inflation, they're not spending any more than they had been. They're not buying more stuff. They've had to fork over more to get the, the, the same things that they used to get a year ago. Yeah, David.
10: But know, I think yeah, it's sure. important to note that household balance sheets are still in pretty good shape. This is not like some previous periods where the households had run up huge amounts of debt relative to their assets. So that's a plus.
2: And their savings rate had even gone up the last couple right. months. Some of this is probably
10: still residue from the aid that the government gave during the pandemic or people's inability
3: or conservativeness in spending. David, and then and then uh, Greg, the same question to, to both of you. Could the banks have saved themselves a lot of pain if they had raised deposit rates uh, commensurate with, the, with the, the raising of interest rates, David?
10: Well, obviously, they'd have less runoff. They'd have deposit. less flight. Right, but, but look, the banks made two basic mistakes. They had too much money in uninsured deposits that was easy to run, and they had too much money in low-rate loans or securities. And that's the basic problem. And I don't agree that the Fed somehow caused this. Yes, if interest rates hadn't gone up so much, the banks would be in better shape. But it's very strange to me that the banks we're so
2: blindsided by this. But real quickly, Greg, before we turn to you, I did think it was striking that on Feb 14th, the Fed board got this presentation by staffers that said oh, yeah. this is exactly the problem the banking system faces. You know, slide number seven lays out how SVB is the biggest problem child. They had a month or so to really prepare for what could have been coming, should they have been more prepared? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think,
10: you know, the Michael Barr report, Vice Chair Michael Barr, is somewhat self-critical they moved too slowly and there's no doubt about that and I think they won't make that mistake again
3: Greg wrap it up here do you think that bankers if they had raised deposit rates would have saved themselves a fair amount of pain here whether the the, the regulators the supervisors were lax or asleep at the switch
9: in the case of the isolated instances where banks have failed yeah that maybe that would have but then again that erodes their whole uh, business model you look at First Republic you know a lot of their loan book was fixed-rate mortgages at three percent well you can't make money borrowing at five and lending at three. So, and, and the big banks, they haven't raised deposit rates and they're doing just fine, thank you very much. So, you know, again, I think this is really a very individual bank-type circumstance. You know, particularly with those that have high levels of uninsured deposits, they were most prone to that runoff.
3: Greg, thank you very much. Greg McBride, of bank rate, and David Wessel. Of Brookings. Thank you very much. Good to see Good you. Good to be Dad. with you. All right. If you're looking for advice on how you uh, your business can handle inflation and navigate an uncertain economy, it's not too late to sign up for tomorrow's CNBC Small Business Playbook event. Uh, you can register by scanning the QR code on the screen right now. Get out your phone. I'm going to stretch this, Kelly, just so <laughs> people can get out their phones and scan that QR code, or you can go to cnbcevents.com. Now to Bertha Coombs for a news update. Bertha.
11: Hi, Tyler, thanks very much. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Waiting on it there. There we go. The uh, FEC is proposing a blanket prohibition on Meta that will prevent the company from profiting on data it collects on users under the age of 18. Meta has 30 days to respond. The FTC says the move comes after Meta failed to comply with a 2020 privacy order aimed at protecting user data and for misleading parents about its Messenger Kids app. Meta calls the move a political stunt, saying the FTC is trying to usurp the authority of Congress to set industry-wide standards. Eli Lilly's Alzheimer's treatment, donanemab, showed the ability to slow disease progression in patients in a late-stage trial. Almost half of the patients taking the treatment showed no clinical progression of memory loss after one year. Lilly CEO David Ricks says the company is going to file for FDA approval by the end
2: of June amazing development. We'll see what happens with that approval, Kelly. Back the stock's here. up 6%. They're headed towards, what is it, a $400 billion market cap. They've got promising drugs in Alzheimer's and weight loss right now, the two hottest areas of the market. Uh, exactly. There you can see shares of Lilly. Bertha, thank you. Uh, meantime, a quick programming note. Don't miss Berkshire Hathaway's annual shareholder meeting this Saturday, May 6th. You can catch it live all day on CNBC and CNBC.com.
3: Up next, from the Fed decision to the banking crisis, and now a debt ceiling slow- showdown. Not a, slowdown, a showdown on Capitol Hill. Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana is here in studio to weigh in on all of that and more on a very busy day inside the Beltway. We are about 33 minutes away from the Fed decision. We'll be back after this.
2: Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful?
3: Welcome back, everybody, to our special coverage of the Fed decision live from Washington. Another quarter-point hike, widely expected, despite the collapse of First Republic Bank earlier this week, second-largest bank failure in U.S. history. Just a few days ago, that happened, of course. Not to mention a potential U.S. debt default, leading economic indicators, flashing signs of a slowdown. Joining us now to discuss all of this and more, Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana. Member remember both the Senate Banking and Appropriations Committee, also Judiciary Committee. You were mm-hmm. a busy fellow. In about a half hour's time, Elizabeth Warren is going to come and sit in exactly that chair, and Mm -hmm. she is going to say, I suspect, that the Fed just got it wrong by raising interest rates by a quarter point. Would you agree with her or disagree with her?
8: I would disagree. Um, Look, uh, Elizabeth is whip-smart, but uh, we we don't agree on the economics. Forget the politics. We don't agree on the economics of this. To tame inflation, we're going to have to raise interest rates. We would not have to raise them as high, as I've explained or tried to explain to Elizabeth, uh, if Congress would reduce the rate of growth of spending and debt accumulation. That's not just Kennedy saying that, that's history. Since 1950, we've had uh, 10 periods of disinflation where it was too high, we got it down. We never succeeded without attacking problem, the problem on both the monetary side of the fiscal and the fiscal side. So, in effect, what I'm saying is that if, if, if you vote against reducing the rate of growth of spending and debt accumulation, you are voting for higher interest rates. Powell's going to have to raise rates much higher than he normally would have if Congress would, would slow the stimulus of spending.
3: But there is little appetite, uh, apart on the GOP side, there's an appetite for cutting spending, but, but it's not going to go through oh, the Oh, they Senate. talk a good game. They talk a but, good game. But, but, but...
8: but for a lot of my, my, my Republican colleagues, um, you know, it's like going to heaven. They all want to go, but they don't want to take the trip <laughs> right now. They want to wait a while. And, and sure, there's a lot of hypocrisy, but you can't have it both ways. I, look, Powell's going to get inflation down. He may have to raise rates as high as eight to ten percent, and I can—I exp- won't take the time now, but I ex- can explain to you why that's realistic. But the more we can do on the spending side to help Powell on his side, the 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 less he's going to have to raise interest rates. And keep in mind, it's this is not just a sterile statistic. We're talking about putting people out of work. Sure. This is this is these are this is flesh and
2: bones here. No, it's yeah. a great point. Especially go back to look at 2021. You know when you had both fiscal and monetary going full blast, and that's Kelly, how you get right. to a nine percent CPI. You're right. We lose sight of that. I don't want to ask you about this, but I have to. Ask and me anything you, you want to ask me. Forcing me to the debt ceiling. Even if you want to force people to restrain spending for sure. all of the good reasons that you cited, sure, is the debt ceiling showdown really what the economy needs right now?
8: Uh, well, I, w- I hope we can avoid it. I'm not going to vote ultimately not to pay uh, 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 America's debt. Now look, I didn't vote for a lot of this debt, but but it was it, it was incurred lawfully. And I'm not going to vote to default. But you you can have that position and at the same time understand the way that the debt ceiling and inflation are inextricably linked through spending. And I'm I mean President Biden You don't have to be Mensa material to figure all this out. I mean, President Biden said forever the Republicans don't have a plan. Now we have a plan. Uh, Now it's time for him to sit down with McCarthy and have an adult discussion about how you allocate scarce resources and reduce inflation, and I don't think you can do it without reducing the rate of growth of spending So the
3: speaker and the president will meet next week uh, and uh, presumably begin some of this conversation. How would you break the logjam that is built around this idea that the the Democrats want a so-called clean debt ceiling uh, release or Mm -hmm. or change uh, tied to nothing? Uh, in terms of spending cuts.
8: How do, you, how do you break that Gordian knot? Well, let me say first, it, it, nothing's gonna happen in the Senate, I can tell you. They're not 60 votes either way. We're waiting to see the House, of what's gonna happen with the House and the, and the, the President. I think it's clear that the, the House is gonna have to give some, but the President's gonna have to give him some. I mean, if he thinks that McCarthy and the Republicans in the House are just going to agree to to, to raise the debt ceiling without slowing the rate of growth of spending, he's living in law on What unland.
2: are the hints? What are the the verbal and language hints that we all need to be watching for as a sign that, that some progress is being made? What language on both sides tells us, oh, they talked about this, that means there's some negotiation towards oh,
8: the Oh, I, I don't know exactly the hint. I think McCarthy will be— Will be pretty candid. Now he's already told me and others he's not going to negotiate this deal uh, in the press. But 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 he's but I think he, Kevin will be very very frank. The president will have his economic advisors around him. I just don't know. Maybe President Biden thinks that the House will blink. I don't. You know, I, he got, through, like he got his me.
3: plan through with two votes, just two votes, and his job is in the balance here because if he alienates uh, uh, by, by what I guess we'd call improvident
8: deal-making, mm-hmm. if he alienates part of the base of his party, they'll kick him out, right? Well, I was pretty impressed with the job that the speaker did. i got to tell you, we all watched the, uh, his election and went through, what, 16, 17 ballots? Uh, I was impressed that he got anything through.
2: Let me ask you this, Senator: Are you having any banks in in Louisiana or or those who feel like they have your ear? Are they calling you and saying, "Hey, it's really bad here, and you got to get them to you know to back what? Or other constituents. You know, we had the CFO Council event here at CMC a couple days ago, and they were told—the CFOs were told, you want to tell your senators, your congressmen, that this slowdown is coming. Tell them you're worried about it. Tell them what the Fed or what, you know, Congress needs to do. I mean, what are you hearing from from your constituents about—I understand what you're saying about inflation, but the banking problems there and imminent signs of a slowdown.
8: Let me tell you about the banking problem, in my opinion, and I sit on the banking committee. Let's take uh, Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic. Um, I don't know whether it was the stupidity of management or the greed of management or the hubris of management, but 75, maybe 85, 90% of that problem was one or all three, okay? They, they, they made a bet without hedging the bet, um, you, you, you 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 didn't have to be at the time, be, you didn't have to be Einstein's cousin to see the Federal Reserve was going to raise interest rates. I mean, duh, they not only did it in increments, but they said they were going to do it. And these two banks were sitting on assets, in one case, long bonds, in another case,
2: cheap, by the bank standards loans that were going to go down in value. Let me just point out there were 31 banks that had negative tangible equity as of the third quarter of last year. Yes, but the, but the, you're right. And there's about $600 billion
8: out there in long bonds that are underwater that are held by banks. But banks also pay attention to their sources of funding and their deposit base.
2: But that's in motion now. How do we undo that? That
8: motion is causing he, he, a Here's the risk. If it were not for the contagion, what we should have done with Silicon Valley and 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 with First Republic is say to their management, "Look, you're both like a rock, only dumber, and we're going to let you fail." The reason we couldn't do that is because we live in a different world
2: of instantaneous communication, and we would have had contagion. Right. Quick final question, mm-hmm. because I know we're, we're over your time here. So. Do, do we need to raise the FDIC limit now either broadly or just for payroll accounts or something in order to put this now crisis in motion to well, that's end? a
8: good question I don't know I wish I had a good answer I don't know how I feel about it I just know the world is different now with uh, with technology and the way we can communicate so quickly and banks exist on the basis of trust they're really just, don't take this the wrong way sophisticated ponzi schemes <laughs> and they work when everybody trusts each other and you get you get on that iphone and start sending text messages and you have a you, you have the herd panic and stampede Anybody can go the broke. The speed
3: of transmission is completely Absolutely. It's, it's
8: breathtaking. Senator Kennedy, thank you for being with us. Thank you for
3: your this candor. This was fun.
8: Yeah, you, you bet it was fun.
3: That was that enjoyable. Was Unless fun. you're a banker, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Dumb as a They're not. they as a okay. They'll rock? be okay. okay. The yeah. bankers <laughs> will be okay. Yeah, they they,
2: they, 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 they uh, usually are. They okay. usually
3: okay. are. Senator Kennedy, thank you. Thank you. Coming up next hour, we will hear from another banking committee member, the aforementioned senator and outspoken Powell critic, Elizabeth Warren. You will not want to miss that.
2: And first, the average mortgage rate fell last week. It didn't translate into an uptick in demand, though. We've got the latest numbers and why the wealthy are also starting to feel the squeeze. That's next. Stay with us.
3: Welcome back to this special edition of The Exchange, live from Washington. Uh, we're now less than 20 minutes away from the Fed's decision on interest rates. Mortgage demand continues to be erratic during the uh, typically busy spring selling season. Rates dipping slightly last week, but recent bank failures are now further complicating the housing market. Diana Olick joins us here on set. Thank you for inviting us to Washington. Well, always your, to your lovely home. to have you. Welcome. Good My home is here. your home. Thank Let's you. talk
0: mortgages, right? Demand from home buyers fell again last week, down 2% for the week in 32 32- percent from a year ago. This despite the fact that the average rate on the 30-year fix for conforming loans fell slightly. But an interesting note in this report, the spread between conforming and jumbo rates, jumbos being higher balance mortgages, has been shrinking as banks, which hold these loans on their balance sheets, have had less of an appetite for risk, not to mention liquidity issues. So the spread was 13 basis points last week after being as wide as 64 basis points just in November of last year. Now, while mortgage rates don't follow directly the Fed funds rate, they are influenced, of course, by Fed policy. So taking a look back, in December of 2021, when Powell first started talking of raising rates, the average on the 30-year fixed mortgage was about 3.2%. By the first hike in March of 2022, already up to 4.5%. By June, it jumped over 6%, and by the end of last October, peaked at 7.37%, all according to Mortgage News Daily. So if you were buying a $400,000 home, which is around the national median price with 20% down, your monthly payment went from $1,380 in December of 2021 to $2,039 today. That's a difference of $659 A month. That's real money, and that led to the downturn in home sales and home prices. For much of last year,
3: those rates, those numbers keep buyers on the SIDELINE. They also keep sellers
0: in their houses. Absolutely. Who wants to trade a three and a half percent mortgage rate for a six and a half percent mortgage rate? You're paying more for the same amount of debt, and that's keeping so many potential sellers on the sidelines. Yeah, and I'm still obsessed with the spread,
2: right? <laughs> if we can get the spread between mortgage rates and the 10-year down, that would go a long way. But it would,
0: but unfortunately, there's so many other issues. The Fed getting out of buying mortgage-backed exactly. bonds, also the lack of
2: supply in the housing market market. It's just nuts. All comes back to the Fed and we will see what else they're going to do in 15 minutes. Diana, thank you. Diana Olek. Coming up, we are about 16 minutes from the rate decision and we could just be weeks away from a U.S. default. The latest in the partisan fight to raise the debt ceiling and why an agreement, an agreement might not be great for the stock market. We've got that next. Dow's up 41. Welcome back, everybody. A little over 10 minutes now from the Fed's latest rate decision. And of course, it's not the only thing looming large here in Washington. With the debt ceiling debate raging in Congress, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen just earlier this week said the U.S. could now default as early as June 1st. Our next guest says for the first time in 35 years, rate hikes are impacting the federal budget, raising interest costs on our debt, and raising the ceiling is just the first in a period of coming austerity. Joining us now is Dan Clifton, Strategist Securities Head of Policy Research. Welcome, Dan. Hi, thanks for having me let's talk about the 14% figure I think that's a good way of thinking about this you guys have some good work on this
12: yeah so we went back in time and we said what's the debt servicing cost of the US government and when the debt servicing cost hits 14% of tax revenue we move into a period of austerity so we were there from 1981 all the way to 1994 we have not been there since 1994 so we have low inflation low interest rates low debt servicing costs we were allowed to cut taxes and increase spending and it didn't increase any of the burden Now we have that rising interest cost because we had inflation. The debt ceiling is really just the opening course for what's going to be a longer period of austerity. We're at about 12% of interest costs of tax revenue. We'll be at 14% by the end of the year. And so that's a challenge for our policymakers. How do you avoid a default, but at the same time start getting our debt trajectory in a better place so we start coming out of this austerity?
3: So you have uh, uh, the situation where rollover debt is going to be, yep. have to pay a lot more, so that raises the servicing cost on the debt. Mm-hmm. How do you then, uh, avoid that austerity, or if you have that austerity, what does the austerity look like?
12: What yep. does it mean? Absolutely. I think that we're in the first course, so what we're trying to do is get economic growth as high as you can. The best way to do it is grow your way out of it. But, but you know, way. we're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. And so, as we talk about the debt ceiling, we're probably going to have a deal that starts to limit discretionary spending, starts to get rid of the unobligated COVID fund. This is the low-hanging fruit of Washington. Okay. What's happened now is that we have two trust funds that are now going to be uh, exhausted in the next 10-year window. That hasn't happened since 1981. So you're going to have to have larger reforms. In 1981, we saved Social Security by making sure that we raise taxes and cut benefits. And that's eventually where we're going to have to go. But we won't be going there until after the 2024 presidential so election the, and there's more of an emergency. The
2: bad news about what you're saying is that we are not going to be able to cut tax. Look, we have a double whammy coming. We had double stimulus in 2021. Yep. now we're seeing both the Fed tightening and tax hikes That's in order right. to fund these deficits that are worsening because of Fed hikes. So we can all sit here and wonder, well, then what's the cushion or the stimulus going to be if the economy starts to worsen? Because the picture you're painting isn't a, a great one.
12: That's right. And, and so let me just give you this point. 2025, all of the Trump tax cuts expire. Income tax rates, estate tax rates, the state and local tax deduction comes back in. So there's an automatic catalyst built into the system. And that will be the big market issue for 2025. We're going to hobble along until we get to the election, get the debt ceiling out of the way, and then maybe we'll do a little bit on the child tax credit just to make families feel better ahead of the election, maybe something on the corporate R&D. But once we get into 2025, I don't know who would want to be president in the next administration because these are challenges we haven't faced in 40 years, and we're going to have to deal with these challenges. Does tonight.
3: a debt ceiling um, raise or, or suspending the debt ceiling, uh, does that happen
12: before the X date? Well, I think it's going to happen right at the end of the deadline, right? So we'll do it. And we may even do two parts, where we get a spending framework agreement by June 1st, raise the debt ceiling for six months, and then try and fill in the details of that agreement by the end of the year. I think the real big one for markets will be this first one, because the the president's dug in, the speaker's dug
3: in. Is there a way to engineer it so that President Biden, who said, I want a clean debt debt ceiling raise, I don't want it tied to spending cuts, is there a way to make that happen?
12: I think the two-step process does that, where you're making it more about the budget and not the debt ceiling. And Speaker McCarthy is still so getting So there's a wink cuts. deal, basically. It's a wink-wink. That, That's
3: right. That, that we're, we're exactly. going to—we agree we're going to do some spending cuts here, but it's going to be separate.
12: Yep. I don't care how we get there. I just want to get there, right? So, but, uh, you know, they're going to have to figure out a way to save face. The policy is actually kind of simple once you get into the arena. What do you think is going to happen with deposit insurance? So I'm conflicted on deposit insurance. Uh, If you remember in 2008, Sheila Bair was able to uh, unilaterally exempt all the payroll accounts at the banks. Was she? Yes, she did, and she did it by executive action. Dodd-Frank now says Congress has to be involved in that process. Mm There's no support for raising deposit insurance limit right now in Congress. Even for payroll accounts? Even for payroll accounts, because on Monday morning, Washington thought the banking issues were solved with First Republic Bank. What we're learning is that it's not solved. This is going to be ongoing. And so as these banking issues continue to grow and there's some risk to employers on their payroll and to insurers, uh, uh, individuals on their deposits, I think you'll start to see some more steam for at least gradually lifting it. What we're doing today Having large banks right. by regionals is not exactly a sustainable strategy over the long
2: Especially term. Especially when J.P. Morgan's already done a right. deal. Dan, thanks for joining us to close things out this Great. hour. We Thank appreciate you for having it. Me. Dan Clifton. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
8: You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems.